And here we go, my friends. So today we are changing it up just a little bit. Um, we've changed up the book. I finished reading um, uh, positioning book and I wanted to kind of switch gears. So, and the reason I wanted to switch gears was uh, very specifically that, you know, I mean, I'm going to choose not to focus on the year that's logistics because there's certain industries or certain areas, pockets in logistics that are doing extremely well. Um, and there's certain areas that are. So what I wanted to focus on today, and I apologize. Excuse me. Apologies. Um, what I wanted to focus on today was a really cool book that I think is going to be a much better read for the next couple of weeks then what would be the book that we were in? And the reason being just some of the mindset that I'm speaking to a lot of salespeople about, um, the, the challenges, the, the um, energy, the passion, the you know motivation, um, the confidence is waning in a lot of people. And um, I really want to help bring that back because I do believe the next 90 to 120 days of this industry are going to be some of the most crucial times for you, the professional sales rep. And what I say, what I mean by that is I truly believe that we are in a spot that's truly going to take the people that are the next generation of pure growth in this industry, and it's going to make them shine. I think the people that don't adapt to today will be gone. Companies, people, carriers, everyone. And I believe that there's a little bit more of a cleansing now. I, I know a lot of people are referring, you know, what we're going through to more of the 2008, 2009 bottom falling out, but I think it's going even deeper. And I think it's time for a cleansing in the environment. So today on Sales Chatter, we're going to start a new book, When They Say No by Andrea Waltz and Richard Fenton. All right. So um, if you guys have ever read Go For No, and I know we've had Andrea on the show many times, um, I'm excited. I'm hoping to get Richard and Andrea on the show at the end of this book to go over it. Um, but until then, um, I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of an introduction into Richard um, because he starts with one of the greatest pieces of sales wisdom that I think you'll ever find. So what he says is, um, He's talking about when he first started in sales. His dad was a, a major salesperson in cars. And he says, you know, when I first when I first realized I had a fear of rejection, and I certainly didn't think my message, hey, my name is Richard Fenton, and I've got some cars to sell you, was as important as whatever the person was doing at the moment. My lack of self-esteem had me believing their time was more valuable than mine. And I think about that and I stopped and, and you guys all know, I've said it many times. I'm a huge email guy. I love emails, DMS, video messages. Um, I'm not a big phone guy and not because I'm afraid of it. I did phone sales for eons, but more along the lines of now more than ever, people are valuing their time. I don't know if you're seeing it as well, but you know, you think of guys like Gary V you think of, uh, of guys like Tom Billion, you think of a lot of these really well-known, well, influencers, if you want to say, 
um, they talk about attention. Attention is the new currency. And how do you get people's attention? You, you kind of more come in from the side or from the back. You know, a lot of people are doing it now with content and stuff to get people's attention. And what I've found or what I've realized, what I've asked over the last little while is asking people very specifically, like, does a phone call catch you at a bad time? And the answer comes back most of the time. Well, there's never really a good time. I mean, when is anyone ever sitting around going, man, I can't wait for Dan to call me? They're not, right? Um, they're not waiting for you to call, right? This is an outbound sales, but it is important. So I started thinking about that. And I really started thinking, saying, okay, is it, is it because I enjoy email more? Is it because I don't want to get a hold of them? Or is it because somehow subconsciously I've created a fear of calling? Because I, I really had to ask myself that just by reading this sentence. And, and I realized it's not a fear of calling. Um, it's more of a respect thing. And that's just the way I feel about it. It doesn't mean that's the way you have to be. And I think I said it yesterday or the day before on the show, where I said, like, when did um, it become more, more polite? I guess I don't know if that's a word, but more polite, I'll use it, <laughs> um, to text somebody and say, do you have a moment? Right. Anytime I call somebody before I call them, I say, hey, do you have a moment? Because I just don't want to catch them at an inopportune time. Because I'm sure you've done it before. You've um, called somebody like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you kind of hear this or you hear in the background and, and you immediately know this person's not listening. Like they're not even in the same galaxy that I am right now. And so that idea of, hey, you got a moment, text, yeah, man, you got a moment, call me. And then it's like, hey, you know, and it's kind of your expectation. So that was the first point. And I got a lot of points and I'm speaking really fast because I don't have long. There's so, and I mean, we're just talking chapter one. There's so many gold nuggets in here. So Richard and Andrea, thank you so much for writing this. Um, it's my second time reading it. So I'm finally marking it and putting notes in it and stuff. So here's another thing. Richard talked in this book. He, he brings up the story about when he realized power of going for no. And it wasn't necessarily originally, and, and Richard Don, if I'm wrong, I hope he's correct on this. It wasn't necessarily the fact that he had to hear so many no's. The power of no came to him when he was in retail sales. And a gentleman walked into his store and the gentleman was like, well, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And Richard was like, okay, okay. And then the bill got to about $1,000, he cashed the gentleman out and the gentleman left. And Richard was sad about the fact that he just sold his dinner. He went up to his gentleman and hey, you see that? He's like, yeah, man, that was great. He says, what did the customer say no to? He says, well, nothing. And he said, so how do you know it was done shopping? And I want you guys to think about, guys and gals, to think about that for a moment. Because in logistics, right, we have customers that all You know they're done shopping with other pieces of business. I was on a phone call with a student the other day. Point of entry. And when I look at point of entry in logistics, I no longer look at it. And, and trust me, I was there with all of you that are still thinking this. You know, you're broken. Man, I, I, a million different points of entry. I can do a thousand different things. I'm awesome at so many things. No, you're not. Sorry, you're not. And 
what is your first point of entry? And, and it's like I was sharing with this gentleman. I've realized very quickly, and this is probably within, I'm going to say the last seven years, seven to eight years. Um, prior to that, it was like a, a full-on shotgun spray where, yeah, you need this, I got it. You need this, I got it. You need this, I got it. And now what I do is I tend to look at what is my golden nugget, if you will. Like, what is the nucleus of what I could offer? And that's the entrance point that I want to make. If they have things on the outside, I won't even pay attention to them. And some people say, but dang, you're a broker and, you know, you you, you should be going after everything. And, and I, 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 I disagree with it. And I know some people are going to disagree with me wholeheartedly, like to the end of the earth, they'll fight tooth and nail to that. No, Dan, this isn't. But I truly believe get that one piece that no matter what customer, you could do something, you can make something better, you can serve them at a higher level. That one nucleus, that's your in. And that's when you focus. Then when you're in, then you start expanding until the customer says no. And then you expand some more until the customer says no, and you expand some more. And this is the thing that I talk about a lot when I talk about five-star clients, right? You start off on OTR, for example. Then you do OTR, you prove yourself in that one piece. And then maybe you get different OTR lanes, different over-the-road lanes. Maybe you start doing some LTL, some trouble. Then all of a sudden you branch into warehousing, right? And then from warehousing, like, well, I need local P&D. So now you're doing local P&D. Oh, do you do air and ocean? Yes, I do air and ocean. Oh, what about customs? Yes, I can get customs done for you. So even if your company doesn't control all of these narratives, if you are the expert that we're going to talk about towards the end of this chapter, because that is like the key part of it, um, you know, people in all of these locations and a win-win for the customer is getting them set up with the best possible people for each of these things they need, each of these, you know, big five moves they're making. And I talked about that last week. Um, big five moves are making to help them succeed. And that's the way I see this whole process going from here on out. That's kind of like my 2024 projection. So here's what he said. He says, so his boss is saying to Harold, you know, I watched you sell and you're not half bad, but your fear of no is going to kill you. And I think if you can just get over that, I think you'd be one of the great ones. So it sparked another question for me, because I think when we're reading, if we get in depth, it changes the perspective. So the question I wrote down is, what no are you avoiding? So. When this comes to rating customers and not getting awarded the freight, do you call them and say, hey, just want to check and see what was the deal? Where was I at? How far was I off? Was I off? What was the reason the other person got awarded? Or do you just accept the fact that you quoted them and you didn't get the business, right? If you're working through an RFP, asking a million questions. And if you want, go to our website and grab, go to bridgersystem.com and grab the RFP playbook. It's a playbook that we created specifically to help you close 90 to 95% of the RFPs you enter, because there's a whole series of questions we give you in this playbook. Literally, you can open up the playbook, ask the question, write the answer right in the playbook to figure out, does this RFP 
meet what I'm looking for. And that's not avoiding a no because you're just trying to gather information. You see, this is one thing about the word no is, and, and I'll jump a bit here because it, it's a great segue into it. And I didn't even mean for the segue to happen. But um, when you are a consultant, right? And we're going to talk about this in the four quadrants of sales. When you're a consultant, um, the consultive sales approach is asking a million questions because here's the thing. And we talked about this so many times over the last two weeks. And, and I'm going to keep pounding because I think this is the one thing. If we are not crystal clear on what that client needs, we, the client's going to be here or here. It doesn't matter. And every decision we make is going to be up here. So you're never going to connect on the decisions. They're never going to be focused towards the goals of the customer. So that's number one. So ask yourself that question. You know, what no are you avoiding? Big question. And I think if you really think about it, it's going to be, it's going to hit you. So then he says, I couldn't believe it was, it was that easy. I was only two letters away from greatness. And that's why we called today's show two letters away from greatness, the go for no sales chatter. Uh, or sorry, <laughs> when they say no sales chat. So <clears throat> here's one big thing that uh, Richard says in this book. And I think it's 1000% accurate. And here we go with our good friend, Ron Burgundy. Ah, I uploaded the wrong video, the wrong picture. Our good friend, Ron Burgundy. And let me see. There we go, my friend. So, <laughs> hey, Ron's always a good one to see. So what I'm looking at when I say that is being in sales is kind of a big deal. And <laughs> I love the fact that Richard added this into the book because, you know, that escalated quickly. Ron's got some great books. But being in sales is really a big deal. I mean, when you look at it, um, salespeople, right? I'm trying to get the, uh, here we go. So here's a few facts about salespeople. So one that I got that wasn't in this book that I got that I want you all to realize is 95% of all CEOs were actually salespeople at one time. So for all of you that are afraid to sell to CEOs, they're probably some of the best people to sell to because they were salespeople. They know the struggles. They know the challenges. They know all this. So if 95% of the world CEOs used to be salespeople, that means 95% of the people you call, you can have a direct connection with, even if it's just in sales, right? Hey, Mr. CEO, while you're trying to get business from them, hey, Mr. CEO, can I ask you a question? When things were down, when you felt challenged, when you were, when you were you know, going through all these issues, what did you do to help yourself get through them? I'm always constantly trying to learn, right? We can ask these questions because that's super cool. Here's another couple other facts. 13% of all jobs in the United States full-time are full-time sales positions. That's one in every eight people. Selling is the also the highest paid of all professions. Organizations invest over $1 trillion annually into their sales force. Now that's a number I had no idea existed. And my question to a lot of you that, that are watching right now, whether watching or listening, is, is your company really investing in you? And I think this is something we do, we as sales need to take into consideration for moving forward. 
is how much investment is the company making in your skill development, in in your sales development? Because the companies that invest in their sales development are the ones that are here for the long run. I can guarantee you that, right? And the average company spends almost $15,000 filling a sales position. 15 G's to fill a sales position. So it's, it's a lot easier to keep them. Let's put it that way. So now for the last part of this call, I want to get into the four styles that they talk about in sales. So you'll see the picture that we just put up for all of you watching on audio form. Um, it's a four quadrant. So you got four squares that, that form a bigger square. And in the top left-hand corner, it says friend, you lose, win, and you're passive. On the bottom left-hand corner, it says tender, you're lose your apathetic apathetic and then adversary is in the right hand bottom corner win lose aggressive and then advisor is win win assertive so i just i want to go through a couple of different um comments on each of these and then we'll close it down but i do suggest if, if y'all get it um when they say no by richard fenton and andrea waltz amazing book so the adversary The goal of an adversary salesperson is to win the sale, even if it means the customer loses. So we've talked about this many times on Data Day where Dean Crook has said, hey, you know what? Leave something on the table for something else. Jeff, we've talked about a win-win situation for customers. Everybody's got to win. There's got to be a goal. I've talked about customers always win when you help them achieve their goals. So, And you win because the more people you help achieve their goals, the more you're going to achieve your goals. And he says, in the process, they must make the sale at all costs. It may require them to be aggressive and manipulative, manipulative, which they see as being okay as long as they are achieving their goal. So... I can tell you as much as I, um, you know, when I'm reading this and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, ah, I was never me. And oh my God, was it ever me? Um, when I first got into this industry, I remember I would almost say anything to make the sale, anything. I mean, it started with simple things like I've got a truck in your area. And I'm sure a lot of you have said that or heard that. Um, and it turned into things like, oh, yeah, we could do that. Like, I still remember, and I, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this story, but when I when I landed Plusmark, which was my first major customer, I had a couple of LTL customers and stuff. My first major piece of business was Plusmark in Afton, Tennessee. And I know Ryan and I have talked about this before, but, um, you know, the question, do you have a warehouse? I said, absolutely, I have a warehouse. And then all of a sudden, for like seven or eight days, I didn't go home. I slept under my desk. And I was un- I was working all day and then unloading trucks until three in the morning, going back in the office, sleeping under my desk and then going and doing all over for seven, eight days straight. So that to me tells me I was that adversary, adversary salesperson, right? I, I, I Not that I necessarily, the customer didn't lose because the customer did win, but it was, well, maybe I was more of the pretender salesperson, but I also think adversary because I said whatever I needed to say to make the sale. I said, you know, yes, I have trucks in your area. I had no trucks in Tennessee. I had to find them. I said I had a warehouse. I had, didn't have a warehouse. So to Doug Derryberry, God bless your soul, my friend. Um, I apologize. But um, so the next one is the friend. And I'm sure a lot of you have actually been the friend part right? Because we talk about relationships and we say, you know, you got to be in a, you got to have a relationship with your prospect. You got to be able to, and there's a difference between a relationship that's beneficial to both parties and just being a friend. And what 
uh, Andrew and Andrea and Richard talk about here is the ultimate goal with a, the friend, it, the next style selling salesperson who goes into every interaction with the ultimate goal of being seen as a customer's friend, even if it means losing the sale. And the status thing about this style is that they believe not selling a customer, their product, their service is being kind somehow, even if a true want or need exists. Now, we'll get a little bit deeper into that uh, on another show, because I think that one really has been like you put yourself into the friend zone, kind of like when you're younger and you're looking at dating somebody. And if you don't ask them soon enough, then you get put in that friend zone, right, where there might be an interest there, but you kind of don't want to ruin the friendship for the business sake or for the, the personal sake. Then the next one is the pretender, right? So, and the, again, I'll put up the image here. The pretender is the bottom, uh, the bottom left, right? And so the pretender, this is who I call the commission breath salesperson, right? So the pretender is the saddest of all style of selling because all they have, uh, they have no objective other than being paid. They are pretending to be a, a salesperson. The paycheck is all that matters, right? That's commission breath. So that to me is somebody that's like, oh, I want to make commission on this. I want to make commission on this. I want to make commission on this. And that's all they think about. That's the pretender, right? Then the advisor, right? So this is finally the ultimate selling style. This is the one we talk about all the time on this show. This is the one we want everybody to get to. The advisor selling style is a person who goes into every sale, every interaction with the attitude that both parties themselves and the prospect can walk out winners if they've done their job properly. Win-win is the only acceptable option. Now, Here's the goal because you're probably all scared about that. I get that. I know that. Like win-win, of course. Everybody knows a win-win is what needs to happen. But here we go. Advisors ask great questions, determine needs. And once they have, advise the customer to buy, right? This may require them to be assertive, but they're never aggressive. If they want to improve the customer's condition, they go for no. When a true need is established, they consider not selling them to be a disservice. Sales is not something you do to people, something you do for people. How many times have you heard me say, if you don't help your customers achieve their goals, you're doing them a disservice. If you don't understand as much as you can about your career, about the industry, if, if this is your career, okay, because we have salespeople that it's not their career, it's literally a J-O-B and they're just collecting paycheck. We just identified who they are. But if you're in the advisor role, this is your career, then you owe it to your customers to be the best you can be, to have the greatest knowledge, to always be up on the market to always understand their needs, to always be there for them, to help them achieve their goal. And especially coming into 2024, this is going to be a very crucial piece of any puzzle that you have, is the ability to help your prospects achieve their goal. We've got an interview coming up next week with John Brewer. And this interview, I could tell with, I could tell you, you're going to have to get, you're going to have to tune in because he lays this exact piece on the line about what he's looking for and how he's looking for it. Because that piece, every single person cares about their image, their credibility, their brand in their company. And if you, the professional sales rep, have 
all of that knowledge, all the tools and a desire to help them achieve their goals, you are going to put them in a beautiful light in their company. Their image, credibility, and brand is going to shine. It's going to grow. And their overall status in the company is going to grow. And when you have that combination, you win every single time because your customer is winning. Okay? So as we close out, here is what we are sitting with the world of sales. And that's it for you. They no longer have the patience to endure pitches based on BS. The new playbook is based on building relations, providing value, and being honest. Perhaps the biggest question of all, besides the obvious goals of reaching your quota, making money, and keeping your job, is what kind of person do you want to be? Okay. Every sales interaction is a part of that. So you've heard me say, be intentional for every interaction. What is it that you want to get out of the next interactions? Here we are. We're sitting on the 22nd of December, right? We're going into Christmas. What is your plan today with your, in, your intention on all your interactions with your customer, with your hot prospect? What is your plan? Figure out that intention and I'm telling you, go for it. Because in the great words of Ron Burgundy, being in sales, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs>